which is given us. And you remember that word shed abroad, we talked about that meant that it's poured out. Remember we talked about Sunday morning, that volume, remember the, the scope of it all and how, how it's shed abroad, that, it, that the love of God is everywhere. And so tonight I, I really struggled on kind of what to call the message and uh, this is what I come up with. And looking at these coins and stuff, this was a picture that I found um, that was in Spain and these are Roman coins that were found. They found them by the hundreds of them and uh, found them in like clay uh, uh, terracotta po uh, pots and stuff, which also, if you've ever studied about the Dead Sea Scrolls, you would understand that in the desert of Masada, uh, out there in uh, by the Dead Sea, that's where uh, the majority of the scrolls, uh, the whole book of Isaiah was found out there, the whole scroll, and uh, which is very, very significant because when Isaiah wrote it, it's wonderful because that came into play even in Jesus' day, the scrolls of Isaiah were found, and then we know that back in like 1948, 49, that they found them also in the caves there, in the Qumran Caves at the Dead Sea and Masada, and they put them in those terracotta uh, pots because they would preserve them to where they wouldn't have the moisture or anything, and a, and a goat herder actually found it. He, he found the Word of God, and he went and took it to the antiquities and sold it and, and broke it up into pieces and sold this thing, you know, and it's scattered now in three different places, but a lot of them are there, and so I was like, all right, Lord, I don't, I don't know what to call it. I wanted to call it not worth a plug nickel because that's mostly what my messages are. And uh, we're going to get to that at the end. But it's one of these things where I want you to look and think about this. We're not going to be talking about, I know that probably if you saw it on Facebook or on the internet on the way over here, you probably thought, okay, we're going to be talking about money tonight. We're not going to be talking about money at all. We're going to be talking about what experience brings. And looking at the definition of experience, the, uh, the noun definition of it all is that it's, it, it means this. It's practical contact with an observation of facts or events. And to put it in our terms today, that just simply means uh, somebody had already learned their lesson by experiencing their lesson. Uh, how many of you know that experience is the greatest teacher, right? Uh, but it's hard to afford the tuition uh, because of the stuff that you've got to go through. Using, using experience as a verb, it means that we encounter something or we undergo something, that, that we walk through these things. I remember when I first got called to preach and started really listening to other preachers like uh, Junior Hills, the uh, Stacy Piercy's, the Adrian Rogers, the Vance Havners, all these other preachers and stuff. And I'd go around from 19 years old to about 21 years old. I was traveling to uh, all over the United States, uh, going to Mexico and other places, and they were letting me preach. And I was underneath the wings of a lot of preachers that even in our area here, they allowed me to go with them and to preach and stuff. And man, I'd sit there and listen to those guys and they would preach the word of God. And then they'd have this great story or this great illustration. And I was like, where are they getting all this stuff from? You know, I mean, they have these great stories that apply to everything. And so I went to the, uh, back then it was called the Baptist Bookstore, and I bought a book called uh, uh, A Thousand Illustrations, you know. And, and so I went through there and started reading everybody else's illustrations. And, you know, those may be good. You may use stories about, like, you know, Horatio Spafford and his illustration. You know, the story about the song, It Is Well With My Soul, and what he went through in order to write those words of that song out, you know. And, and you can share that, but there's nothing like sharing your experience with someone that you go, Hey, look, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I know what it feels like because I've walked there, okay? Uh, I can't sit by the hospital bed of someone that has cancer or has taken cancer treatments and say, I know what you're feeling and I understand that. I can't say that. I can understand that the hurt and the pain and I can understand what it is on being on this side of that hospital bed sitting in a chair, but I don't know what it's like to be in there. But there are certain people, even some of you that are in here tonight that have gone through things like that, that you've experienced that. And while you were going through that or undergoing that, as the definition said, you think, you know, I'm all alone. You think, why am I going through this? Why do I have to endure this? What's wrong with me for me to have this and stuff? And not knowing that God is taking experience and he's bringing hope and he's working things out in your life in order for you to be able to do that. There was a guy that I think was mentioned by dad this past Sunday on his video. Uh, how many of you are liking the Change Life videos? That's just two of them. But one of my favorite parts was when he said, uh, and, and said, you know, I asked Jesus to save me. You know what he did? Save me. 
You know, I was like, well, how about that? And, uh, but the other thing was is when he's talking about Brother Roy Talbert. And Brother Roy Talbert's gone home to be with the Lord now for a while. And Brother Roy was a deacon here at our church, a great, faithful man. But he went through dialysis three days a week and never missed. He was always not missing there, but he never missed church. He was faithful. He was a Sunday school teacher. He used to joke around and invite all the older men to the Sunday school. And he said, look, when you get to my Sunday school class, it's the last one you'll ever have until you're in the presence of Jesus. You know, it's the, it's the checkout zone, and it used to be back there in the aquarium. So uh, y'all don't sit back there, okay? But um, Brother Roy went through a lot of that. And I asked him one day, I said, you ever get tired of it? You ever get wore out? And he said, absolutely. He said, but usually when I go in there and I'm praying, somebody else is sitting there beside me new. And I get to talk to them about Jesus, and I get to share with them. And I was like, it's because you know what they're going through. And so when I was young and I wanted all those illustrations and stuff, I didn't realize that I had to go through life in order to have those experiences and have those illustrations, you know. Um, And our understanding of what experience is is this. It's that when we go through something or something happens to us, that it's got to relate to us in such a way that it has a big effect. It teaches you a great lesson, you know, and it teaches you something that's going on even in your life that may happen in somebody else's life. But I I want you to look at this scripture. The Bible talks about Romans chapter number 5. It says, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. Uh, And when it's talking about how the love of God is put in our hearts, that this is what we're doing is that God's not forgotten you. So before we get into the message tonight about going through experiences, going through tribulations, going through all that, understand that it's never, ever that God has left you or that God has abandoned you. No, because it wraps up with this scripture. We're going to go through one through four, but I wanted to do verse five first so that you'll know that even in your tribulations and even in your trials and even in your heartaches and even in those experiences that sometimes it's not really feeling good to experience that, that what? It says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. In other words, God's pouring himself out on you constantly every day. God is pouring himself out. And what we need to do is we need to be like the sponges that God's created us. And we need to say, God, we're thirsty and we're hungry for your righteousness. Please fill us and please fill us. But the first thing you look at, look at verse 1 of chapter 5. It says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of what? The glory of God. So what I wanted to talk about, first of all tonight, and I think it's only about two or three things, is that let us glorify. We, we, we should glory, okay? Now, don't misunderstand me when I say this. We're not talking about that we should glory in ourselves, but glory is defined as this. It's, it's praise and worship or offering thanks to the Lord for what he has done. When, when we say tonight that we want to give glory to God, I love testimony services, and I love it when people, they stand up and uh, they get in that routine or they go, I'd like to just stand up and I want to give glory and honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I love to hear people say that because immediately in their first words of their testimony, they have moved all attention, all crowns, all glory, all praise, all, all eyes off of themselves and put them up there. Amen? And really and truly, if the testimony doesn't do that, is it much of a testimony at all, right? So we need to understand that when I say let us glory, we're going to glory in two things tonight. First of all, number one, we need to glory in what we have. We need to glory in what we have. I started to say we need to glory in what we got, but I knew some of you English people wouldn't like that. But we need to glory in what we have. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith. Church, first of all, right out of the gate, what do we have? We have justification in Jesus Christ. And what does that mean? Justification, it's a big word that a lot of people, some churches, some pastors are not really using the words like justification and sanctification and glorification and all this stuff anymore because we think those words are kind of a little outdated and stuff. Let me explain to you what justification actually means. If you were guilty of charges that were brought against you and you were guilty in a court of law and you're standing before a judge and a jury of all of your peers and you have that guilt and shame, they've got you on tape, they've got you on audio, and there's not an Aunt B sitting in the crowd that's for you, okay? And so therefore, you've got all this stuff stacked against you and the judge is bringing all of that stuff and he's... you did this, and you did this on this night, on this day, on, at this time, at this place. All of the evidence is against you. 
But therefore, when you are pardoned and when you are forgiven and you are pardoned by that judge, now you are set aright. You are justified to where the fact that when you get pardoned, it justifies you as just the word says, justified, just if I had not done it or just if I had not sinned. And that is really big. That's really big. That's what a lot of our Christian people that are walking in the miserable Christian life. You ever met a miserable Christian before? They're trying to keep this life on their own. They're trying to keep all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted and we're trying to do everything that we can and we're trying to, you know, be the best woman, be the best man, be the best husband, be the best father, be the best this and we're trying our best but sometimes we need to just rest and relax on the fact that, listen, I'm justified not because of what I did but I'm justified because the judge has cleared me and he has pardoned me. Why? Because Jesus steps into the courtroom and says, I will take all of the guilt and all of the punishment that Brandon deserved and I will take it upon myself and whatever you were going to do to him judge you can do to me but let him go free that ought to make you excited in your Christian life that ought to make you in your prayer life to at least start every single prayer that you pray and say Lord I just want to thank you I want to thank you for what you did for me I want to thank you for justifying me because you know why the people that you look around in this room tonight they won't okay they won't they're your friends They say they love you. They may even be married to you. They keep roll books. They keep record books. They keep all kinds of everything. But God says you're justified, which means what? He removed it in such a way, and when he looked at you, it's as if you did not do it. That's what Christ did for us. To cast our sins as far as the east is to the west is so awesome. Why? We've understood this. Because if God said, I'm going to cast your sins as far as the north is to the south, and we look at just the simple illustration of the earth, if we go north so long, eventually we're going to be going south. We go north. But if you go east, you can go east for a long time and keep going east and keep going east and keep going east. And if you go west, you can go west and west and west. And our sins are cast out of the sight of an almighty God. Listen, that... That's good. That's hot dog good. Come on, y'all ought to know that. It's very good because we've got that. And I love that. Therefore, being justified, that's what I have. When somebody says, what do you have in Christ? You say, I have a right standing. I have a right standing now. What do you have in Christ? I have a clear record. What do you have in Christ? It really sums up, I'm justified by faith. Amen. Look at the second thing the Bible says in that one scripture. Not only are we justified by faith, look at, else, look at what else we have. We have peace. You know what that peace is? It's the peace to know that when we stand before God, there is no, okay, uh, man, I was 51% good and 49% bad. I'm good. No, it's not that. This is not any other religion such as Islam or, 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 or any other, uh, even, even in, in Buddhism and Hinduism, as far as doing good works and doing good deeds and stuff like that. There, there's a thing, and man, I, I just want to say something real quick. We're going to take a time out on this one so it doesn't count in the whole part of the message. But there are so many things that I hear Christians say that we really shouldn't say. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like filthy, nasty words. You shouldn't say those either. But I'm talking about things such as that deal with other religions and false gods and stuff, such as karma. There are a lot of Christians that I hear talking about karma and things like that, and they think they know what karma means, and they think that karma just simply means that you kind of reap what you sow, or as Brent told me one time, you know, what comes around comes around. And I said, buddy, that no, no, what, what goes around comes around is what you meant to say. Uh, that's not what karma means. Karma in the uh, religion of the Hindus and all the other, and Buddha, what karma actually means is, is that what you do in this life when you are reincarnated you'll actually suffer for it. And karma is an ugly, very ugly teaching. It's very ugly because you know why? Because karma teaches these young ladies that are taken for sex trafficking and these young women that are raped or these young men that are killed on the streets. Karma teaches that what they did in the other life bad, that now they're reaping that. And that is so nasty and horrible. That is a fault. That is what happens in that, when a young woman is done that way, or when a young woman or a young man is sold like that, let me tell you something. That's evil, and that's wickedness, and that's sin, and that is the Satan's fault, amen? That is not some previous life that you lived, and, and, you know, and you're not going to come back as some kind of frog or the slime on the bottom of a snail. That's, and it's so dangerous, and we as Christians just kind of use the words flippantly, and we go, well, it's just bad karma. So like that. No, it isn't. We understand that there's another teaching in the Scriptures that actually tell us this, that whatsoever man sows, 
that shall he also reap. We understand that, but that's not what that means. And so we need to understand that when we have peace, we're not talking about this peace that we get from doing stretches and calisthenics and aerobics, which they call yoga. We don't have peace whenever we just say, okay, it's through a bottle or a pill or anything like that. When he says you have this peace right here, shalom in the old Hebrew word, what it means is, is you have a perfect peace that passes, as Ephesians says, all of your understanding. What it means is, is that when you're in the midst of the trial and the storm, when you're beside the casket, when you're beside a hospital bed, when you're beside the road, beside a car that's flipped upside down in the ditch over there, that even in those troublous times that you could have a kind of peace from God that passes anybody's thought process. It passes anybody's understanding that you can have peace. It's the same kind of peace that you could be able to lay down and receive a radiation treatment or a chemotherapy treatment. It's the same kind of peace to where you could look over at someone knowing that your life is fleeting and that your breaths are almost at the last breath that you're going to inhale and exhale and look at them and you can say, don't weep for me because I have peace with God and I know that when I leave here I'm going home because he's just beyond the door, amen. That's the kind of peace that we can have and we've got that, amen. Sometimes we lose sight of that, why? Because we're focused on all the other things. What did Jesus say? And I can't really get hung up on this tonight. Y'all are just agging me on. But uh, uh, what did Jesus say whenever they went across on the boat? You know, he said, we're going to go to the other side and uh, other side of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias. And they, they woke up, remember? They, he was asleep in the boat and they were waking him up saying, you don't care if we're going to die out here? You know, master, you care not we perish? And he says, listen, oh, you have little faith. And what did he do? He stood up on the, on, the, on the boat, the bow of the boat, and he said, peace be still. And the winds and the waves obeyed him. And what it actually means is, is when he said, peace be still, and they obeyed, it meant that he muzzled them. Amen? It was though it was like a raging dog or a raging devil that was coming up against them. And Jesus, with his great power, muzzled it and stopped it all. Amen? And the winds died down and the waves calmed down and they were able to go to the other side. The Lord wants us to live that way. Now, it's difficult in the tribulation. Nobody's going to say that it's easy. No one's telling you that it's going to be simple when it's your wife or when it's your husband or when it's your daughter or your, or your son or your mother or your father. Nobody, I'm not saying that you're never going to have hard times that come. But I'm going to say in those times, if, listen to me, if you put this word of God in you, in those times, from the bucket and the well of your life, you're going to draw up that stuff when you need it. And you're going to go, Lord, thank you for those scriptures. Thank you. Because when death seems to come in and rob you from everything, you're going to be reminded that if it's a saint of God, that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. That our view is not heaven's view, and heaven's view is not earth's view about what goes on. Amen. We have peace with God. Look at verse number two. We have access to God. That's a good thing. You're going to learn this coming Sunday in the Revelation that Satan's actually going to have no more access to God. He's, going to, he's cast out of heaven. All this stuff, he doesn't have that access to the throne of God. And we ought to say a little bit of an amen in there because when he had access, he was constantly accusing all of us of all of our things wrong. Amen? He was the uh, prosecuting attorney and was always saying, you know Craig, and he does this and he does that. And God says, not guilty. Amen? Justified. But it says we have access by faith into this grace. It's our faith in Jesus Christ. If you want to, on the side of your notes, you can put Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, and it shows us how we have that access. And that access is by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so when we have that faith, what does it do? It brings us to the throne of God. And it, it, the simplicity of the gospel is this. We're sinners, and we are separated from God. The simplicity of the gospel, Charlie, is that here we are over here, and we're sinners. We have committed sin. We were, listen, Adam and Eve created in righteousness and in beauty of our Lord, right? In the image of God, they sinned and they were separated, right? But God did what? He reconciled. He reconciled them back together. God is a great peacemaker. God is a great peace giver, but he's also the reconciler of us all. And he used his son, Jesus Christ, to do that. You remember Sunday we talked about his arm is not shortened and his ear is not heavy, that he can't hear, right? But he brings us back together. And that's what this says. We have access. Remember I told you about the illustration about the report card Sunday night and, you know, doing wrong, sitting at the dinner table, and the fellowship really wasn't there and stuff with dad and me and stuff. But, you know, whenever the forgiveness was brought in, 
then what we had was we brought back together the reconciliation. We have access. I'm going to go quick. Look at the second or the third thing. Fourth thing underneath that is that we have a standing in God that causes us to rejoice. And we, we ought to rejoice in what? In the hope of our Lord. And uh, it means that we've got all of this stuff. We've got the access. We've got the justification. We have the peace. But we also have a good standing, a, a real good standing. I I go back, whenever I think about standing and someone, if I ever hear sh- uh, shoulder width apart, you know, leg shoulder width apart, it, it really makes me nauseated. I have this little stench of grass smell in my nose and, and a whistle hanging around a guy by the name of Coach Ray every time I hear shoulder width apart. Uh, junior high football, I hated, I hated those days more than anything and, uh, because I was fat then and I was a lineman and I, I wanted to run the ball and I couldn't run the ball and they wouldn't let me run. They let me run it in practice once, and then they figured out that I couldn't. But anyway, so they said, you need to go over here with these guys. It was great. And we called it the Dust Bowl. Um, Matt wasn't in the Dust Bowl, and Craig wasn't in the Dust Bowl. They were, they were like different ones and tight ends and stuff, you know, and the skinny little guys and stuff like that, you know. Um, then Matt, like, we beefed him up, and he actually came over in his, in his varsity years. But they'd put a board on the ground, and they'd tell you, get your feet shoulder width apart, a two-by-eight on the ground. And then they'd put a big old guy on the other side and a big old guy on this side, and you just lined up like two bulls and just hit each other. And, and until, until coach went, that's satisfactory. You know what I mean? And they never knew when that was going to be. You know, it was horrible. It was horrible. <laughs> I don't know why I ever did it, but it was bad. But I, shoulder width apart. You know, when you're standing, and I know this is a goofy illustration, but when you're standing like this, you're going to be knocked down. You know why? Because you really don't have a good standing. You don't have a good firm standing. But when you're standing a little shoulder width apart, and even in the sense where you kind of got that good boxer kind of stance, you know, people are not going to push you over very easily, right? If you get them too wide, then somebody's going to push you over. If you get them too narrow, somebody will push you over. And that's what I'm trying to tell you is that you need to realize in your growth in Jesus Christ, listen to me, you need to, you need to understand you have a good standing with God. That God... You should not be terrified because you have a good standing and so therefore pull and and you shouldn't sit back and relax at ease, you know, all the time. You have a good standing, which means that when you get to go before the throne of God and speak to him, you have a good standing. Why? Not because of preacher and not because your church you go to, but because of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen. Listen, here's the other thing. The second thing is this that we need to be glorying in what we have, but we need to also glory in what we've been through. You know, some of the greatest things that we can do, whether the old phrase, hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can always look back and see what we've gone through. We can't look forward and see what we're going to go through, but we can look back and see what we have gone through. And not all those times that we've gone through something are all bad. Some of them are victorious times. Some of them are times where we go, man, you remember that great revival that we had? You know, do you remember when, when you were this close to God? Or do you remember when this happened in our family? Or do you remember when our children were born or when we got married? You have those victory times, you know, and those victorious memories that you have. But then there's some of them that are t- But the Bible tells us that in all those things, we need to be able to glory in all those things of what we've been through. Because, you know, as the songwriter says, if we didn't have a problem, we wouldn't know that God could solve them, and we wouldn't know what faith in God could do. And so looking at that, listen, I want you to see these words right here more than anything, and underline them in your Bible, highlight them, whatever it says in there. But it says, and not only so. What that means is, is not only that. And let me read it to you, if you would. Verse number one, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. All that stuff is like victorious. We've got an access. We've got justification. We've got peace. We've got a good standing. And he's talking about in all the things we have in God, so we ought to glory in God And boast in God, Brother Reggie, for those things. But then he turns around and says, but not only that. Don't you like that? Not only should we glory in the good things that we do have, but look at what he says. And not only so, but we should also glory in tribulations. Now listen, that's the craziest idea that you could ever have. No one. No one in all of the blue counties of Alabama that I saw on the news this afternoon What I imagine is at home going, God, I'd just like to give you thanks and praise and honor for the flu. No one would do that. You know what I mean? Now, some people getting off work, they may go, you know, I got the flu. I'm off, you know. 
But no one would do that. No one, you don't, even, even people that are in their hardest times, you don't see them, you see them with this peace that passes understanding. You see them with a hope that is secure, like an anchor to their soul that's sure and steadfast. But you just don't see people just clapping about it and smiling and all of that because why? It's not about that kind of glory. It's not about the clapping and it's not about that. But it is this that we glory in is that God, you are God in our tribulations as well as in our victories. That I know that you're there and that you're never going to leave me. You know, we can certainly glory about all the good times and the good things that we have in Jesus, but it's not enough. We're supposed to glory for the win column just as well as we glory, uh, excuse me, glory for the loss column just as well as we glory for the win column. Listen, I want you to notice this, that God does not say glory about your trials it doesn't say glory over your trials or tribulation it says you glory in them and glorying in them that means that it's pointing to something it's glory in Jesus Christ who is with you who will not forsake you and will not leave you listen the Bible says in the book of James chapter number one and verse uh, number two through four it says my brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience and patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The Bible says that we should what? Let patience, let the glory, let all of that stuff work itself out because it's going to do what? There was one word in there. It's going to mature you. It's going to perfect you. The word perfection is not that something is absolutely pristine, the word perfect in the Bible means that they would be a mature, perfect Christian that does what? Lacks nothing. David understood it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Adrian Rogers once said that a little girl met him at the back door and quoted that to him, said, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't want anything else. And that's true. It's the simple fact that when we have him, our wants, what else could we ask for? If you have him... What else would you desire? You know, there was a time in Jesus' ministry to the disciples that he looked at them. And Sister Martha and I, we love this scripture. He looked at them and said, will you also go away? And they said, Lord, where could we go? You know, you have the words of life. Where, where would we go? We, we, you're the best thing that we know. You're the best thing that we have. Amen. And so the scriptures tell us that we need to know that we need to thank God and glory in God because of all of the things that we've gone through. Look at this part. It says, let patience bring the experience and the experience bring the hope in all of this stuff. Um, in the process of it all, it's tribulation produces patience. Uh, patience is one of those things. This is, this is what people do, and I, I want to share this with you. People go, ooh, never pray for patience. That's what people tell you to do. Christian people tell you not, not to pray for patience. That's not a good thing to do, Christians. You don't need to go around telling everybody not to pray for patience. People go, well, tribulations is what produces patience, so if you pray for patience, then you're going to have all kinds of tribulations. Well, you could also just stay and never grow in your Christian life, too. How about that? So instead of telling them not to pray for patience, just change it and go around and tell everybody, don't grow in your Christian walk with Christ. Because it's going to take tribulations and experience things in order for you to grow. Amen? And so this experience, or excuse me, this patience that we're talking about, it's actually translated endurance. And what it means is, is that you would hope and you would wait, excuse me, that you would wait with the hope of God and the expectation of him doing what? Giving you an answer, coming through, being there for you. You know, and here's the thing. People come to you and say you're never supposed to get sick. God's word says you've got power over sickness. You're never supposed to get sick and all of this stuff. And then you don't know what to do with, okay, well, my grandmother, she got sick, and now she's passed away and going home to be with the Lord. And I prayed so fervently that she would be healed and that it just seemed like God didn't heal her. It's because you know why people are mistranslating and they're twisting the Bible. The Bible says, Paul says, this body groans for redemption. This body is decaying ever since the day it was birthed. It is going to the grave, going to the dust. But the spirit, which is the Lord's, will go back to him is what Ecclesiastes says. So what it means is, is that yes, our bodies will decay and our bodies will be sick and we should pray for the healing of our bodies and the perfecting that God would move for what? The endurance of our bodies, which is not just the endurance, okay, I gotta go to the gym 40 times a week, I gotta do this, I gotta do that, I gotta drink kale juice. <laughs> I gotta do this, you know what I mean? This morning, you know what I had for breakfast? Avocado, tomatoes, and eggs. You know why? 
because of diabetes. I hate diabetes. And you say, well, why do you have diabetes? Fat. I hate fat also, right? So you have to do something about it. But you're never going to do all this stuff for your body, and it's going to last forever. If you hold out and God doesn't come back, you're going to be put into a grave someday because your body is decaying. What God's talking about, the patience and endurance we should have, is in the inward, in the spirit, that we know that God is going to take care and that God's will is greater than our will could ever be. Amen? Look at the other thing that says tribulation produces patience and perseverance. Patience produces experience. Or you could use this word, character. Boy, we need some character, not characters. We got enough of characters. We need some character among people today. And I'm not talking about the world. Don't look to the world for things of God. I'm talking about among the people of God. We need people with character that have an upright moral system, that they have an ethic system, a standard that goes according to the word of God. And listen, that patience and endurance produces that experience or that character, and then that experience produces hope. It gives us that hope to know that what? Listen, if we've waited for God and we've experienced God and his glory when we waited for him, Brother Craig, you know what it's going to do? It's going to give us hope every time we go through a trial or tribulation. What that means is is that every single time something comes our way, or as we said this past Sunday, the enemy comes in like a flood against us, we will know that God will lift up a standard against them, that we would know that they would not destroy us. They may can take this old body and put it in a cold grave, but I got one thing you can't take away, amen, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen, we need the glory, but here's the second thing. Let us focus. Let us focus, amen. I want you to look, first of all, at the experience. Look at verse number four. The Bible says, and patience experience, and experience hope. I want you to look at that word experience, and if you're taking these notes, I want you to write this in here. I want you to spell this out. It's D-O-K-I-M-E, D-O-K-I-M-E, and it's dokime, D-O-K-I-M-E, dokime, and that's the original Greek word there for this word experience that we're looking at. It actually means this. It means proving or a trial or an approved or tried character, or just simply this word, proof. It's evidence. What God's saying is, is that our patience produces proof. Our patience produces proof. And you have proof in your life that Jesus lives within you. You know, I get bombarded with questions a lot of times, and mostly on Wednesday night I get bombarded. Like whenever I come home, uh, you know, I, I come in, and Jacob and Andrew have come home. You know, Andrew's come home or been home from college, and Jacob has come home from school. And usually on Wednesdays, Brent's there. And, and Brent, I always tell him, hey, you get one question a day, man. I, that's it. Because I used to, he used to, ag- I aggravated him. He would always come up to me, I got a question for you. And I said, if you say that to me one more time, man. And he said, he changed it. He changed it. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. He changed it, and he went, okay. And he said, well, answer me this. You know, and he changed it on me. And so now he's, he doesn't start out with, I got a question. This afternoon it was about, hey, let me ask you a question. I, I'm trying to get ready. And he goes, do you think Kobe Bryant is in heaven? And I said, I said, Brent, I don't know. And I'm sure he's asked multiple people in this church and not the same thing. And I said, buddy, I don't know. I said, I hope so. You know, and then he goes on. He said, you know, I wonder how many Christian athletes there are. I only know about two of them. And I was going, I think there's a few more. And uh, so he starts Googling all this stuff, you know. And, and I said, Brent, I said, what it boils down to is this, man. I said, when you die, make sure that everyone knew your fruit and they knew what your life showed and said to where when they do come by, they won't go, I wonder if they were in heaven or I wonder if Brent made it to heaven. I said, your life should be producing fruit and proof every single day so that people don't have to guess about it or wonder about it. When you're bold and you're out front about your faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot but you know, say and testify that that person knows Christ because of their fruit and the life that they live. And that's what this word experience means. See, you've always heard, do not pray for patience because tribulation comes and does that. But you're not realizing that if you never go through tribulation and you never experience patience, then you don't get to the next growth stage of experiencing things. It, it's not that we want to go, okay, I want to, I want to know what brother, brother Ricky experienced. I would like to have that experience. Now, see, I can also learn from Brother Ricky's experience of his treatments that he's just gone through and other friends of mine. It's not that you always want to do that, but... You've also got to grow and know, okay, God, 
I'm going to trust you in my tribulations. I'm going to have patience to know that you'll be there with me. And he's going to be bringing an experience out in you. What it is is proof. See, when you're not mad and pointing your finger into heaven and mad at God because of all the things that our sinful bodies are suffering from and decaying from, and people see you go, I'm going to glorify God no matter what happens to me. You know what you're doing? That's proof. It's proof all the time that you're saying, hey, listen, no matter what, as Job said, though he slay me, yet I know that my Redeemer lives. Thinking about the book of Job itself, look at what it said about Job. It says, there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man, look, was a perfect and upright. And it says, and one that feared God and eschewed evil, run away from evil, fled from the presence of evil. But look at what it says mostly about Job. He was perfect and upright. You know what that meant? It meant Job was a righteous man. But that was found in chapter one of Job. And that's, listen to me, that's what was said about Job. But you read the whole book of Job and you will see the righteousness of Job's life. See, a lot of things could be said about you. Maybe even your mom or your daddy looked at you when you were a little bitty and said, oh, you're going to be a preacher someday, or you're going to be a missionary someday, or you're going to do all this someday, you know what I mean? And they can say all that they want to, but if it's never proof in the pudding later on, then it's not going to work, right? So Job was declared a righteous man, but it was shown later. You say you're a Christian? You testify you're a Christian? You got to have some proof. You said, Brother Steve, my relationship is between Jesus Christ and me. I agree 100%, absolutely, and I don't know if you're saved. And listen, you don't know if I'm saved or not, and I'm going to tell you I am, all right? I'm going to tell you like my dad told you Sunday. You know what he did? He saved me, okay? But by my fruit, I hope that that proves it because there's proof in our witness, and that's what experience is. Listen, our experience should have these things right here, and we're going to close. We're going to go home. Our experience should have these things right here. Number one, it should have proof in its own foundation. Our experience, our proof of what we're saying, it should have proof in its foundation. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 13, it says, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and, and, and rejoice and, and with joy receive it. Look at what it says. It says, yet he hath no root in himself, but he endures for a while. And, but when tribulation or tri uh, persecution arises because of the word, by and by, he is offended. You know what that means is? Is that they had no foundation. No foundation. Which you know what that proved? It proved that they weren't rooted and they weren't grounded and they didn't have it. You know, so many times you've seen in church where sometimes people come and, and get saved and, and man, born again and then all of a sudden they... They go back, and it's like went right back into the, like the horrible, horrible sins and stuff. And you wonder, all right, Lord, did they really get saved, or did they not get saved, or, or what's going on? And sometimes that is the truth, is that they, they heard the word, but they didn't actually get it. Kind of like I told you uh, about Mac Brunson preached the message. Instead of, I saw the light is one thing, but I know the light is a different thing. Uh, I saw the light is great, but I have the light. That's totally different, amen? Um, and that's what... He's talking about here, he says, when the seed is sown out, he said, some of it falls by the wayside and is trodden under men's feet, and the birds come by and eat it. And some of the seeds is sown among the stony ground, and whenever it uh, uh, gets heated up and a little bit of moisture, it might be on the rocks in the morning, it jumps up and it goes, whoo, and it springs up, and then it goes away because it has no good foundation. See, our experience in Christ, our faith in Christ, should have proof in the foundation. And what I mean is this is the old song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. On all other ground is what? Sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock. When you hear people talk about salvation, church, whatever's going on, and there's no direction or directing toward Jesus Christ, toward the Holy Spirit of God, toward what he has done for them, you're, they don't have a good foundation. Because everything that you and I have tonight is not because we're in North Highland, not because we're in this church, not because we were raised in this community. Everything that we have and the reason that we're here tonight is because our foundation is in Jesus Christ. Everything that we have, listen, everything that we talk about, the reason we read our Bible, the reason we pray to a heavenly God, the reason that we talk to other people about Jesus is why? It's because we're rooted and grounded in him. If we're not rooted and grounded in him, then what happens? We wither away because we don't have a good foundation. The second thing is this right here. Uh, our evidence or our character or whatever you want to call it, it should have proof 
in its faith. It should show up in our faith that we have. Um, faith is this, this right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1, verse 2. It says, we give thanks to God always uh, for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. It says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. He says, and Paul's just thinking about all of them. And it says, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, how God brought you into salvation. He says, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And so look what it says. As you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. So Paul's saying, you saw our faith. You witnessed it. It was proof in what? And you know what kind of men we were when we lived among you. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for you to hold on to these sinful things of the world and to hold on to the spiritual things of God. You're going to have to choose one or the other. I'm glad somebody's happy and clapping about that. Amen. Uh, but you've got to choose one or the other. If you choose the world, then it's the world's fruit and all of that that you will reap. If you choose the Spirit, then it's the fruits of the Spirit that you will reap. And what will happen is, is, is let me ask you this, and I'm going to move. Let me ask you this. How many of you are Christians tonight and that you want other people to see Jesus in you? That's your main goal. Man, that, that should be every one of us. There's got to be some proof then. You're going to have to have some proof. And the way that you prove it is not buying shirts with his name on it. The way that you prove it is not sticking your Bible up underneath your armpit all the time. No, the way that you prove it is by knowing what kind of people that you are around everybody else. If you talk about all those other things and never talking about Christ, how are they going to know that you're of Christ? Amen? you got to find that time. Listen to the next parts he said. He said, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of God. Look at this. Much affliction. He says, with the joy of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, so that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Asia or Achaia, but it's Asia. And it says, and from you sounded out. He says, they received the word of God in their tribulation and in those troubles and stuff, but they received it by the power of the Holy Ghost of God. And when they did, look at what these others did. Because of the kind of men that Paul and Timothy and all of these others were around them, showing their faith, proving their faith to all these others, look at the effect that it had. You want your family to know Christ? You want your friends to know Christ? You want your coworkers or whoever to know Christ? You know what? When they see it in you, look, here's a good thing. From you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and in Asia, it says, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. It says so that we need not speak anything. And what was Paul was talking about was that the way we lived in front of you, you knew what kind of manner of men we were, but yet they grabbed hold of that exact same thing and that exact same faith. And Brother Matt, they took that faith all the way to the other ends of the world. They went out from Macedonia to Asia and everywhere. He says, in other words, he said, everywhere you people are walking and you people of Thessalonica are stepping, he says, God, your faith to Godward is spoken about. And it, we don't, we, he said, we don't even have to say anything anymore. That's awesome. That's the best thing of all about being a Christian. It's discipleship, amen? The last one is this. It needs to have some proof in its favor. And you say, well, what are you talking about? Not flavor, but in favor. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 14, I know and I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus, says that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteem anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. It says, but if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. It says, in other words, you're not walking in love. He says, destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. He says, let not then your good be evil spoken of, for the kingdom of God is not in meat and it's not in drink, but the kingdom of God is in what? It's in righteousness and peace and in the joy of, uh, excuse me, and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. You know what the word approved is? And what he's talking about is that don't let the things that you may think you have freedom to do offend a brother or sister or another person of unbelief. He said, don't allow those things. And the meat that he uses was he was talking about meats that were offered to Zeus, offered to false gods of the Romans and all this stuff, and that was sacrificed. It actually had a, a, a branding that would be on it, and then they would offer it, and the people would meet it. And Paul was saying, listen, we understand even through Peter that all things are clean, you remember the sheet that came down and all things were declared clean and God told Peter what? He says, don't call unclean what I have to call clean or declared clean, amen? And that gives all you people the right to eat bacon? 
right? And all, but, but it says don't let it offend. Don't let it offend them because why? Then you're not walking in charity, okay? And what it means is, is that you need to have a good standing everywhere. You know, some of the hardest things that we do in our Christian life is this right here, and I even had a great discussion uh, with, with, with family this week about this, is that I know it isn't fair. Everybody else is looking at you. I know it isn't fair, but it don't matter. Life ain't fair. You know, that'd be good. Some daddies look at their kids nowadays and go, hey, life just ain't fair. You know what I mean? Because it ain't fair. And look over at them and go, well, everybody's looking at you. People watch you. People watch me. You say, Brother Steve, why, why, why would you not, you know, we, we, I come to church here during the day, and we have camera systems and stuff like that. And I didn't come up here before uh, in, when we had a secretary and stuff until we had a camera system. People go, well, why? We know everybody, and we know you and all that. And Yeah, but I, I, I don't know all those people that are driving by. And I do know that the tongue is set on fire from hell. And I know, as Adrian Rogers even said this morning at about 6 o'clock, I heard one of the greatest statements ever, you'd be better off trying to manage gunpowder in hell than to tame your tongue, right? And I was like, brother, that's good right there. He's been dead 14 years with the Lord, right? And I was like, that's exactly right. So people go, well, I don't, I don't meet with women alone. My wife can be here, and if not, then the secretary can set in. Because, you say, well, why? Because I have to have a good standing with everybody, everyone. And you don't... Put yourselves in those positions because why? One word right here. Dokume. Approved. It means that you show your. It's the exact same word as the experience. The patient, the tribulation works patience, patience experience, dokume. That's what this is right here. Approved. It means that we would have proof when we stand before men and women that they would know that God's with us and that there's no question about it at all, right? Listen, as some have said before, you know, live your life in such a way that the, the preacher doesn't have to lie at your funeral. I ain't going to lie for you. I'm not going to lie for you. I'm just going to focus on Jesus, and we won't even focus on you at all, focus on Jesus, but I'm not going to lie for you because I, I, there's nobody that could ever be preached into heaven. But I, I want you to look at this picture as we go home tonight, and I want you to know that our testimony that we talked about last Wednesday, should bring evidence. It should bring proof of what's going on. The proof that it should bring, it should be this. Our evidence and our testimony should have a founding in Jesus Christ. It should have, you know, joy in the wins and the losses of our life or the good days and the bad days in our life. Our witness and our uh, testimony should have evidence of people that are outside of this church as well as inside of this church. If you are talked about outside of the church in a way that's different than inside of the church, then there's, a, there's something wrong. E even in the pulpit, uh, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about anybody, but I don't come up here and talk different. I don't act different. I don't put on a preacher voice. I don't put on preacher ties and all this stuff and try to do something different. You know why? Because I should be exactly the same here as there, as there, at school, and wherever I'm at, and at Walmart. And it's hard to do it at Walmart, Right? <laughs> We should be all the way across the board because why? People are looking for proof. People don't care if you say you're a Christian. They don't care about that. They mark you up with every other person in their whole life. They don't care. That drug addict that needs some kind of hope in their life, they don't care if you call yourself a Christian. They don't care if you call yourself a preacher. As a matter of fact, they treat you different. They look at you and run from you because if you're like any of the other ones, they know all you're going to do is just come down on them and condemn them for everything they're in and already know, you need to know this, they're already condemned and they need some salvation, they need some help. But you know what? If they see some proof in your life, then that's different. Amen? That's different. Listen, in the, I want to read you this. In the ancient world, there was no banking system as we know it today and there was no paper money back in the days of the Roman days and stuff and all the money was made out of metal. And what they would do is they would, they would take and produce these silver coins like these denarius or these uh, uh, sequoia, whatever they called them. They would take that hot silver metal and they would pour it inside of a mold. And in that mold, it would have one side and the other. And, and when it would go in there, it actually would run out of the sides of it. You know what I mean? I don't know if y'all got a quarter or something like that now, but you'll know that even like on our quarters and stuff, it has those rigid edges all the way around and stuff. Well, there was a reason. And the reason was is because people in the days, they would do something that was called clipping. It was like toenail clipping or fingernail clipping. And what they would do is, is that extra silver that kind of went out in the side, it still weighed the same, okay, because they poured in a certain amount of weight of that silver coin. So 
the money was only worth, Brother Reggie, what that coin actually weighed. But when it was minted or it was poured, it would go out of the edges and like the face of the Caesar would be over here, the quadriga of the horses, the chariots on the back of it would be leaning over here. And so what the thieves would do is they would take out and clip off the edges where it poured over and they would keep it. And what they were doing was cheating people. They were stealing because the money was only good as how much the silver actually weighed. They called it clipping, right? <laughs> Fly. Every time I hear that, I want to throw a flag. It was a clipping, and then they would cheat everybody. Another thing they would do is that they would take those silver coins, and because the edges of them all, Brother Tommy, were real thin, they would put them all in a bag. And before they would take them and give the money to the people, they'd shake the money. They were walking around and was shaking the money. It was called sweating the money. That's what I'm doing now. I'm sweating the money. And uh, they would shake that money. And what will happen is, is inside that thing, Josh, is that all those ends and the thin edges on there would break off. And when they took the money out of the bag and gave to the banker or to the person that they owed the money to, inside the bag were the clippings or the broken off pieces and stuff. Let me put it in terms that you would know today. Even in their days, they would cut one in half or they would punch a hole in the middle of that Caesar's head and then they would take a hammer and beat it back down together. But if they cut, a, if they cut the coin in the middle, they would then dig out the silver of that coin and like hollow it out. And then they would take another metal that wasn't expensive and they would slide that coin over the top of it like that and then melt it back together. I mean, listen, thieves would rather climb a telephone pole and get the copper off the top of the wire than to get a job, right? And we say, well, where did we get that from? Have you ever heard that that ain't worth a plug nickel? Because that's where that came from is that when they would cut that plug out of it, they were taking money out of that. Listen. That's what I'm trying to tell you, that document, the experience, you need it. You got to have it. And because you're going through that trial, because you're going through those times, don't try to rush God and just try to shake the bag. And God, let's get through this. And you get all that other stuff. Give God everything. Whenever you try to cheat the process of what God's doing with you, then you're cheating God, but you're actually in turn cheating your own self because you're never going to learn that. You're never going to learn those lessons. You know, you know it, it's great. Schooling is so awesome. Um, seminary, college, um, doctorate, school, everything that you could think of, though, all schooling is great. But if you cheat yourself out of it, what does it matter? It ain't worth the plug nickel because you don't have anything because you didn't really understand it all. I mean, any of you ever remember going through high school, maybe 11th grade, and you went through world history, you know, American history and stuff like that, and you still don't know anything about all of it, right? Because what did you do? You, you cheated, you plug nickeled that thing, and you, you skimped off of this side and, you know, all that stuff. Don't do that in your Christian walk. It says what? Tribulation works patience. Patience brings experience. And then experience does what? Gives you hope which was our first verse that we talked about, verse 5. Why did we do that one? Because the hope is where you're getting to. You ever look at some of these, all you younger people in here, the silver-haired ones and stuff, and you hear their words and their testimonies, and you're just floored, and you go, wow, man, I hope I have that faith when, when I get that age. And, man, they talk about the things that God's brought them through. I never knew that they went through this and went through all of that stuff. The hope that they're talking about came through the tribulation, experience, or patience, and experience. And you're trying to go from what? From being justified to hope. And you're trying to bypass it. Don't do that. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for this time we've all had together. Thank you for a night of good fellowship, Lord, around the table and eating, um, Lord, out in the fellowship hall.